0: Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, January 29th, Adam and Sharon, my god, my god, (laughs) I almost can't express to you the depths of the (laughs) sexualness That we experienced this week, it was intense. I, I was it good for you guys? Because it was, it was very, very good for me. It was. I mean, the thing is, is Adam and Sharon when they're together, it's. There's just so much in the air, you know? It's it's forbidden. It's naughty. They're not supposed to be there together. Every time Adam and Sharon are together, it's pretty much them against the world. It's Adam and Sharon versus the world. They're not supposed to want each other. They're not supposed to be attracted to each other. Sharon wasn't supposed to go against Victor's word and tell Adam that he was walking headfirst into a bear trap. And Adam realizes what a huge sacrifice that was for her, and there was just nothing else to do, nothing more to do than to have sex. It was a necessity. Uh, It was, he had to say thank you. I mean, you know, flowers, candy, that's just not good enough. I mean, she saved him from potentially years in prison. I mean, really, the only appropriate thank you (laughs) was deep, deep, dirty, dirty, sex in Victor's office. And it was dirty, too. It was, it was, uh, it was, I I mean, there was so much energy. It was, like, just so passionate. Sharon is, like, after she's revealed this truth to Adam, it slowly starts to sink into her what true danger she is in herself. She has now sacrificed a part of herself and her safety and her child's safety in order to keep Adam out of jail. And it sort of of starts to realize it with, you know, she starts to realize it and starts to wonder, like, okay, what am I going to do now? I I get the feeling that her telling Adam was to some extent somewhat impulsive. I mean, I think she tried to think it through for as much time as she had, but she really had to make this snap decision between Victor and and Adam, and she decided to go with Adam and Tell him um, the whole truth, everything that she knew, all of the information that she was privy to as a result of being the Mrs. the new Mrs. Victor Newman. So I, I, she r- realizes that this is putting her in a situation, and she's starting to tr- sort of talk it through with Adam about what she's gonna do, how she's gonna get her way out of this, how she's gonna explain her way out of this, and she was, I think, just about to turn away. <laughs> and walk out the door when Adam just, like walks he like lunges toward her he actually grabs a chair knocks it over like knocks over this chair to get to her he kind of like pushes her down like onto t- t- Victor's desk she like f- falls back on to Victor's chest he desk he like takes his arm sweeps everything off the desk and then kind of picks her up and <laughs> hoists her onto the desk wherein they start to uh, frantically as if if they were the last two people on the freaking Titanic, uh, they start to make out and just start to go at it. And the sequence, the lovemaking sequence, I thought was very interesting. They, YNR sort of did this, like, sometimes it was fast forwarded, you know, like when they were kissing, they looked like they were going at it really, really fast. And then in other parts of the sequence, they slowed it down and it was slow motion. And I thought, so representative of everything that their relationship is in so many ways. It has you know been fast forwarded and it's like fast love and in, in so many other ways it's like slow and passionate. So it was it I thought captured both the heat and the passion that they have for each other, but also at the same time the deep romantic love connection that there is there together. And I enjoyed both of those immensely. I I have to tell you I. Watched the scene, the whole sequence with my mouth wide open. I mean, literally, I'm I'm looking at uh, the screen like, oh my god, I'm oh my god. I just, it just was so. Oh god, it was so. Good. It was so good. I I just to be completely full disclosure here. I watched. I totally watched it three times. I watched. The uh, entire lovemaking sequence, a total of three times, but it was for research. You know, I, I I had to watch it in order to be able to fully bring to you an analysis <laughs> of the scene. You know, uh, it you know it wasn't just about my my own pure pleasure. No, no, I did it for you. I watched Adam and Sharon's lovemaking scene three times for you. <laughs> just so you know. Um and it was it was so just absolutely incredible. Like they got nasty all over Victor's office. I mean the entire time like Sharon's got her arms thrown around Adam and you can just see her big huge freaking engagement ring rock shining glittering in the lights as she's got her arms thrown around another man or the you know the ultimate other man. It was so uh, it was just crazy. I mean like they they <laughs> absolutely did it all around Victor's office. I mean, they did it on Victor's desk. They did it up against the window. They did it on the couch. Like, they completely ruined Victor's office for anyone else. Like, Victor's office will never, ever be the same. I don't think I'm ever going to look at Victor's office the same way again. Forget it. I thought, I mean, I I thought the the against-the-window scene was really, really hot. Or Sharon was, like, pressed up against the window and Adam comes up from behind her. Ugh. They really made the most of that one situation. I hope the door was locked, because anybody could have walked in. I hope Connie wasn't sitting out in the reception area. Actually, Connie's probably been long gone, but... Oh, Lord. I can just imagine the moans of passion echoing through the halls of Newman Enterprises. Oh! (laughs) It was so good. And really, I think it's it's layers it's it's layers of of passion it's not just the love making because there's also this element of realizing that Sharon was the one to save Adam This time. I mean, there's been this pattern throughout Sharon's life of her always being the damsel in distress. You know, she was always the one that needed saving, whether it was by Nick or Jack or, you know, all of the other men in her life have always made her feel like she was the one that needed saving. And now here is an opportunity for her to save Adam. And even, I think she was, Sharon was having a conversation, or I think Nick was having a conversation. About it later in the week and and was mentioning that that you know why do you continue I think he was asking Sharon like why do you continue <clears throat> to try to save him what makes you think that you can save him and you know she just basically said that she she realizes that there's there is more to him you know it's not just what you see is what you get um, she realizes that there's there's something more and I, I love the role reversal you know I just think it's um it, it just gives it something different that none of Sharon's relationships Relationships have really ever had And Adam is a relatively new character On the show And it's 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 just uh, It's unique that she seems to be the only person That is able to draw That sensitivity uh, out of him It, it is uh, all Utterly <laughs> Utterly Enjoyable to watch I really enjoyed it But um, <clears throat> it didn't take long before the consequence Started sinking in I knew it was going to be like Tops Five minutes of pure pleasure And then moving on to the consequence And it really, it it, it happened pretty rapidly Um, Sharon had to go home the next morning, I mean, they spent the whole night, oh, by the way, I loved the line, like right before they started making love, where Adam said, just don't go anywhere, stay here with me, we'll figure it out together. Again, it was Adam and Sharon versus the world, we'll figure it out, whatever it is, just stay here with me, we'll put our brains together. And that was sort of what Adam had said to her the New Year's Eve that he went to her house all drunk, you know, and he was he was saying, we'll figure out a way around this faith custody situation. We're two smart people, we'll put our heads together. Them, we'll figure it out and that was exactly what it was this time too they they stayed the night at Victor's office and Sharon had to do the long awkward walk of shame home the next day um, opened up the door into the broad light and who's sitting there in the chair but her husband Victor her husband of what two days three days <laughs> he's sitting there and he knew. Exactly what had happened. I mean, by that point, the news had already reached Victor that the beauty of nature SEC uh, scandal, the the deal, the trap deal had not gone through. So Victor knew that and I think put two and two together pretty much immediately as to what had happened. I mean, the, Sharon's probably the only thing that would have stopped Uh, Adam from going through with that deal so there's this awkward morning after moment I mean Sharon probably still has Adam's sweat all over her and she's looking Victor in the eye and um it was just awkward I think he even said to her I mean like a daughter like a father would say to a daughter he was like where were you last night ugh that was so awkward, but, of course, uh, we, we all know Victor got kind of deterred <laughs> uh, right after that. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they eventually did end up having uh, a conversation, and I I have to say, I was pretty, ex- I was surprised. I wasn't expecting uh, what I got. I thought that Victor would be furious with Sharon. She just blew his plans. Not only that, but, I mean, she's not really acting like Mrs. Victor Noomi and if she's sleeping with his son in his office. So I was very surprised, but Victor was very calm. You know, I think uh, she actually was the one that ended up saying, so you're not mad at me, you're more just disappointed in me. Again, total father-daughter type of connection, only Victor is never half this understanding with his own children, I mean, Sharon, his wife at the time, totally kind of screwed him over, like cost him a probably a billion dollar business. I mean, because of all this going down, because the SEC uh, didn't intervene, the beauty of nature de- sale was legitimate. So Sharon just cost Victor probably a billion or so dollars. I mean, what, what, what did the lawsuit that Victoria and Nick and Abby filed against him cost? He didn't speak to them for months. And Sharon just does d- did what she did, and he's just like, meh, you know, <laughs> he just works his way around it. I was very surprised. Were you guys surprised with how totally calm Victor was um, with the situation? And maybe the only reason was that uh, Victor was looking for a way out, too. That's the only thing I can think, is that, you know, I'm sure he wasn't happy with what Sharon did, but I think <clears throat> it allowed them to arrive at this you know, mutual decision, mutual realization that the marriage is really a sham and it was time to have it annulled. So, because I think Sharon just looked at him dead in the face and said, so what are we going to do about this? And Victor said, we're going to get this marriage annulled. (laughs) And that's exactly what they're getting ready to do, which is good. I was wondering if that was going to happen and I was not believing that it was going to happen right away. So I am happy to see that uh, we're going to be done with this sham marriage for uh for 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 now i'm really really pleased about that um the one little interesting tidbit here is that victor sort of thinks that sharon's involvement with adam is going to lead right back down the road of nick taking custody of Faith away, which is clearly not what Sharon wants. That's the reason Sharon has been stayed staying away from Adam for as long as she has. And so Victor kind of intimates that, like, you know, your relationship with Adam, go ahead and have it. But guess what? I'm not going to be stopping Nick this time from taking custody of Faith. And... I think that probably would have really bothered Sharon. That probably would have been a real concern for Sharon if it weren't for the fact that she had already seen a lawyer. I think, um, you know, I don't remember if it was before or after she slept with Adam. Oh, maybe you guys can remind me that. But I think it had to have been before she even slept with Adam. She went to see Avery. And she asked her if she would be willing to talk to Nick on her behalf, which Avery actually agreed to do. Surprising, because when Sharon asked Avery to intervene uh, previously, Avery wouldn't do it, probably because she and Nick were involved at the time. But Avery did agree to talk if if, to, if Nick decides that he wants to press for full custody of Faith then Avery said that she would talk to him which made Sharon feel reassured I don't know why that made her feel so reassured I think that Sharon going back to Adam at this point is going to continue to infuriate Nick. I don't think there's any reason to believe that this time it's going to be any different. So that was one thing that concerned me a little bit about Sharon's actions, was that I I do still feel like her involvement, this involvement with Adam, is putting her relationship with Faith at risk. Um, which is surprising to me, because she's done so much to try to keep... Her child close to her, and she's stayed away from Adam for weeks. She's got this, still got this restraining order against him. And now suddenly she's just decided that, you know, it wasn't enough just to alert him about Victor's plan. You know, she did become involved with him. But she did mention while she was in. Um, who was she talking, I think she was talking to Victor, actually, during their kind of final conversation as husband and wife. Um, she said to him, you know, I'm not stupid, and I'm not really thinking that a relationship with Adam is going to be an easy road, but we have a connection. But I still sort of got the sense from her that she wasn't really planning on pursuing some kind of traditional relationship with Adam. I don't know, what do you think? Um... I mean, it's it's always going to be a problem. The situation with faith is always going to be a problem. I I mean, in 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 real life, honestly, if this were real life, Sharon should stay as far away from Adam as possible. I I, I hate to say it, but I mean, you know, you cannot tell me that if you had a girlfriend who had this guy who stole her baby, <laughs> that you would advise her to keep hanging out with him or to keep seeing him. I mean, you know that in in reality, Adam is a bad idea. Adam is a dark character. He's done some really shady, shady things, unnecessary things to people. Ashley, Sharon, and... In reality, there's no reason why she should give him a second chance, no matter how good the sex is. Again, if your friend was falling for this, you would tell her to stay as far away from that creep as she possibly could. But still, (laughs) in the daytime world, it's just so damn hot that we can't can't help but feel compelled. But again, the problem with Faith, the problem that he's, the fact that he stole her baby, that he stole Sharon's baby, is always going to be... An issue for them, and I really hate it. I hate it. I wish that that had never happened. I mean, I hated the storyline at the time, but now that there's this intense connection between Adam and Sharon, I just wish that that never would have happened. And I wonder if the writers kind of regret writing that because it, I mean, it really, no matter how good Adam ever becomes, no matter what he does. He will always be the guy that stole Sharon's baby, let her think that her baby was dead, along with Nick, and gave it to someone else. There's just no erasing that. It's just never going to go away. Adam will always be a baby stealer. Um, no matter how hot he is or how misunderstood he is, that's always going to be the case. The, the only thing I can think that's going to allow Adam and Sharon to actually pursue a relationship would be if Sharon was pregnant. I mean, they've had (laughs) sex twice now recently. She's getting the annulment from Victor... And I just, I would not, a couple of people have mentioned this, I would just not at all be surprised if Sharon wound up pregnant. I don't know how many more baby-making years Sharon's got, but this might be the last one. I just have a feeling, because think about it, all of a sudden Sharon becomes pregnant with Adam's baby, and they have to be together. All of a sudden the argument about... You know, like for instance, Nick's argument about I can't have him anywhere near my daughter or you shouldn't, you know, be anywhere near him becomes a little bit softer, becomes a little less loud when he's the father of her baby. If Adam becomes the father of her child, then that's plenty of darn reason for them to be having contact together. Undeniable reasons for them to have contact uh, together. And part of me wonders is if both of them kind of want that to happen. It's a solution. So now that Victor's out of jail and out of this absurd marriage to Sharon, thank goodness, he wants to be with Nikki. He's been wanting to be with Nikki this entire time. He's been longing to be with Nikki this entire time. And, oh man, the... I long for Nikki and Victor to be together in a healthy way. In a permanent way. In a way where they will no longer be ripped apart. But, I mean, you know, Victor never gives her full disclosure. You know, I mean, he gave her the whole be patient thing and then invites her over to the ranch and starts kissing on her and making love to her and everything. And, And, you know, he's surprised somehow that Nikki isn't totally responsive right away. I mean, in Victor's head, he's always in control. And as soon as he decides that it's okay for them to be together, then they're together. You know, the only real obstacle in their relationship is ever Victor. Victor knows at any point he wants Nikki, he can have her back. And it just, I don't know, just something, even as much as I love Nikki and Victor, just something about it really, that really, really bugs me. That he just, it's like, I know he loves her, but damn, sometimes he just don't respect her. And it, it bothers me, you know, Victor, you can't just toy with our emotions. You can't just, like, push her away Uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks and treat her like crap and then all of a sudden expect for her to come running back into your arms. You know, we don't work like that. Women don't really work like that. And, you know, I I think that (sighs) I worry about Nikki getting hurt as a result of this relationship. And (sighs) I mean, she's constantly getting hurt. You know, it's it's constantly her getting hurt. I can't remember who made the comment this week that you know Victor is always. It was uh, I think maybe Ashley made the comment that Victor is always getting other people dragged into his plans, and other people end up getting hurt. And it does seem like Nikki is always the one that gets hurt the most. So I'm I'm glad that Nikki and Victor are back together. I can't help it; my heart lies with them. But at the same time, I have some reservations. And I'm just gonna wait and see how he acts. <laughs> wait and see how this pans out. I don't know. I'm gonna be annoyed. They're gonna. I mean, I don't even know if they can ever be happy together without having problems. But we're gonna see. I'm. I'm. I'm with it. I just wonder how long it'll. It'll be before he's proposing to Nikki. I mean, what you think? Next week he'll probably be proposing to Nikki. I just hope that <sighs> he better not give her. He better not give Sharon or give Nikki Sharon's. Wedding ring because Sharon gave it back to him. I think Sharon like begrudgingly pulled that huge old rock off of her finger and uh, gave it back to him, which I'm surprised she did. I mean, I would think she she for the job she did, she at least earned the ring, right? I don't know. Maybe uh, Victor can trade it in and get some of his money back. But if he decides to propose to Nikki, there better be a new ring. <laughs> That's the most important thing. If he tries to recycle it, I'm going to be annoyed. Um, but you know, it's so oh, it feels like we always end up at the same place back in the same place with Victor um <laughs> he's now back at Newman it didn't take him like meh, he, I think he took one night at home to kind of re- rest and relax and the next morning he was back behind his desk in his office at Newman Enterprises wondering what this crusty stuff is all over his desk and his couch and his window and like what's all what is all that <laughs> It's like someone had a sex fest in my office here. (laughs) Oh, oh man. But that spells bad news for Adam. Of course, you know, Adam didn't end up walking into uh, Victor's uh, trap. And so Victor's going to make him pay in other ways. So as soon as Adam comes into work the next day, he sees Victor sitting at what was his desk, and Victor has written out a letter of resignation for Adam. Just short and sweet, wants him to sign it. Like, okay, Adam, I'm out of jail. I'm back. We all know what just happened here. Time for you to get out. And Adam has been anticipating this for weeks. That's why he was at Tucker's door begging for a job. He knew that the second, as soon as he heard rumblings that Victor was going to be getting out of jail, Adam started scrambling uh, to to make plans for this. And so as soon as Victor busted out that letter of resignation, Adam just looks at it like, no, I'm not going to resign. You know, I get the feeling that probably if Victor were to fire him, um, you know, who knows, he'd probably have to pay him a large chunk of money or who knows how the contract was drawn out. But Adam's just like, no, I'm not going to let you fire me. And so or I'm not just gonna lo- I'm not just gonna walk away. So um rather than firing him, Victor decides, all right, I'm gonna keep you on at the company, but uh, it says in the contract that I get to make sure that you work from any location of my choosing. So follow me. And <laughs> Adam follows Victor to where his new office will be. <laughs> and I'll give you a clue. <laughs> the sign on the door says men. I laughed so hard this week when Victor led Adam right into the men's room. There's a desk sitting right in the middle of it with Adam Newman on a nameplate and all of his stuff at this, just a desk, basically right in the middle of the men's room. There's like Adam's desk, a nice chair, wall of urinals. Oh, so disgusting and but hilarious! Like as soon as you know, Adam tried to take it in stride. I mean, Victor here is oh, just getting one on him. It was it was magnificent, but Adam's trying to take it in stride. So he's like, "All right, um, all right, I'll I'll say I'll have my bathroom desk. That's fine. Um, uh, you're not gonna can me." Adam tries to take it, and Victor's like, have fun, he leaves, and this other associate, this other, like, executive, comes walking into the bathroom, thinking he's gonna take his newspaper, probably, and sit in there on the toilet for a while, and Adam's just like, hmm, yeah, in there with his desk. I mean, it's so humiliating! Adam was the CEO of this company, and oh, Victor just had this set up. I mean, Victor knew Adam wasn't just gonna go away, so he sets up this humiliating scenario from him. for him, and I just, uh, it was so, so good. Um, Adam did a really good job of keeping his poker face on, but, you know, nobody wants to go from being CEO of the company to sitting in the bath, the men's room. So um, Adam heads right over to Tucker's office, and he says, basically, I knew, I knew that you were, I know you are involved in this whole thing setting me up, um, but, you know, we have stuff in common still. So why don't you just give me a job? You know, he Adam doesn't want to sit in the men's room at Newman, so why don't you just give give me a job, Tucker? And Tucker's response, at first, is very antagonistic. But then, Tucker offers Adam a job, only the job is that he has to be a spy over at Newman. So basically, Adam is supposed to continue working at Newman, getting company secrets, figuring stuff out, and then he'll just report it back to Tucker. And uh, Adam seemed to be like, okay, I'll th- he'll, he was setting okay, I'll think about it. But I'm thinking, that is ridiculous. If Tucker just set you up for. Uh, you know whatever scandal you know the scandal with beauty of nature what makes you think that he's not setting you up now? you can't just g- go work for two companies and sell secrets back and forth you can't just do that It's called corporate espionage you, you, yeah like it's just it's it's that if anything's illegal that's illegal Adam you can't just walk right out of one trap and into the another. Really, truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, YNR. Thank you for finally clearing up all of the dust of the cloud of dusty suspicion and question marks that were surrounding Diane's freaking murder. The storyline that went on from July to January (laughs) you <laughs> Thank you for finally taking the time to put the pieces together for me because it was just when I had given up. I mean, last week I was like, well, I guess that's it. This is all we're ever going to know about it. And I'm just going to accept that YNR no? is never going to resolve it. And finally, this week they actually really, really wrapped it up. <laughs> it took them like over probably 20 weeks to get here and one episode, I think, to wrap it all up. It, it's. It's still ridiculous, but I've talked enough <laughs> about that. Um, it's there's nothing left to do than just you know other than just go over you know the evidence. It was I'm glad that they did it. Um, again, I wasn't expecting it, so it was it was very. Um, straight out of Clue. You know, it was an episode of Clue. Uh, Ronan called everybody together, all of the usual suspects, everyone involved with the case, everyone who was at the park that night, everyone who had anything to do with anything, got called (laughs) into Ronan's little office with the DA, and Ronan just went by, like, just went by pillow by pillow and talked about each of the suspects and how they all fit into the puzzle, and it was very, like... Gentlemen, turn out your pockets. Ladies, empty your purses. Whoever has the gun is the murderer. It was. It was just very, very that. <laughs> um, and I'm. I'm. God, I'm just. I'm still. I'm just so glad. I'm just so glad that they finally did it. I mean, Ronan was pretty much asking, you know, questions. He still. He doesn't believe that anyone in the room actually, you know, had, um, you know, anything major to do with or premeditated with killing Diane. The video footage pretty much shows who killed and yeah, Nikki, uh, but what they were really trying to clear up was why, if you, you know, why did you impede the investigation? You know, if if none of you guys, you other guys, killed her, then why did you do such a, such a good job of trying to throw me off the case? And you know, person by person, he went through, and they all had motive. You know, I mean, they all had reasons that they wanted to throw things off. Um, but I guess the part that you know, some of the things just really surprised me that, like, they went back to even talking about the um, the security footage that was at the, you know, the, the park... Uh, I don't know, whatever, the Forest Park Reserve or whatever footage uh, that night that had taken pictures of Ashley and the person that had sent those photos to Ashley, blackmailing her, and the person that was calling Nick on the phone. Like, all of those, like, those were little details that I have forgotten about. I mean, it's been since the summer I was wearing freaking tank tops when all that was going on. Now there's like a two inches of snow outside. Like, I didn't remember any of that crap. And now Ronan's bringing it back up. Just, I mean, I really, I, I really did feel like, you know, my inner was like, okay, we got to get on this. You know, I mean, last week I said, I just want to know exactly what happened in chronological order. And that is kind of pretty much what they decided to give us. Um, but just all of those little details were things that I had forgotten about, um, and I'm glad that they wrapped him up. It, the, pretty much the answer <laughs> to all of that, all of those little miscellaneous details were either Deacon did it or Patty did it, <laughs> and some for various reasons, which again, <sighs> <laughs> Very annoying, but I like at this point I just want it to be done, so I was glad. Um, uh, like you know, a lot of the the little details were. Deacon. I think, I think it's kind of looking like the, uh, pictures that went to, that went to Ashley and the phone calls that went to Nick. I I think it's being implied that those would have had to have been Patty, but pretty much, you know, like Deacon was the one that went around tampering with the evidence. He went and like gathered all of the evidence that was around the area and he hid it. And I thought one of the most, uh, striking, revelations that came from all of this like everybody sitting in the room together and Deacon there too was that Deacon was asked by Diane to film all of that so which does make sense i mean Diane obviously before she died sent out that text message to everybody and to some extent wanted to implicate everyone you know in something she wanted to have one last something you know i mean they Diane knew that she was planning to stage her own death. That was the point. She went to the park so that she could stage her own death and blame it on Victor. But I think that part was Adam's plan. I think Diane wanted to just implicate everybody, all of her enemies, which is why she called them all there. And at various uh, stages, she created, you know, evidence against all of them. And she asked Deacon to be there to film it, which does make sense. And Deacon um while he was you know filming everything that was going on with Nikki he saw what was happening that Diane was attacking uh, Nikki and Deacon put down the camera ran over into frame and tried to help the situation didn't want Diane to die. I didn't want this to result in some sort of, you know, in you know, injury for either Nikki or Diane. But it was too late. By the time he got there, um, Nikki had already killed Diane. And the really gruesome thing that. Is I hope I forget it because it kind of is gonna stick with me. This is the worst part. Like, okay, it does suck that Nikki killed Diane, but Deacon goes over there, sees the Nikki killed Diane, and because he wants to protect Nikki, Deacon takes the rock and bashes Diane over the head with it a couple more times. Just to try to make it look like someone stronger than Nikki had to have done it, you know, that it just that the blunt, the sheer, you know, tra- trauma, the blunt force of um, of the rock would not have been something that Nikki would have been able to do by herself. So that was sort of Deacon's plan to get Nikki out of what she had just done, and just the idea, like Deacon said, you know, when I was by the time I got over there, she was already dead, which. I mean, I hope so. It didn't look like a whole lot of time had elapsed, <laughs> but I hope so that she was already dead. But it just, just something about that just makes me want to cri- just, ugh, just, just the idea of Deacon smashing in a dead skull. I mean, just, he had slept with her, too. I mean, he'd already, that must be how much he loves Nikki. He had slept with Diane, so obviously this is someone, you know, he had some kind of connection with. And she's dead, and he decides to smash her over the head a couple more times. Just that alone was wow to me. And it was Deacon that decided to push her body into the creek, and after he did that, that's when he ran around and grabbed all of the evidence, including the camera that was um, videotaping Ashley at the park that night, and he hit it. He hit it in that alleyway. That's I think behind glowworm, and <laughs> what do you know? It's the same alleyway that Patty's been hanging around with in quite a bit, and you know that's when you know, Deacon said, you know, I hid all this evidence, but then it got stolen. Someone else had it, and that's when Ronan and um, and the DA and Paul, you know, to an extent, have started to realize that there is um, uh, the, an, another person involved. It's there's some other mystery person um, at this point, but still. Uh deacon or, or you know even with deacon's uh, revelation, the d a has a grudge to hold. He had to let Victor off the hook, which he didn't want to do, and he wanted to charge. Somebody was something. So if he he made this ultimatum, where if you know, I mean, everybody's there—Ashley and Tucker and Abby and Victoria and Nick and Victor and Nikki and Jack—even—I I mean, everybody who was involved was there. And the DA just says, "You know what? I'm gonna arrest you all for obstruction." They all get arrested. Like, that had to have been one of, like, the only times that's happened. I mean, it was like a mass arrest of everyone in Genoa City, like all, practically all the characters on the show. And he puts them into these separate holding cells by gender. He puts the women into one holding cell, the men into another holding cell, and they have one of those, uh, one-way mirrors. Is that right? Two-way mirrors? I don't know what they are, but basically... So that the people on the inside only saw a mirror, but Ronan and the DA were looking in and observing them and kind of hoping that they would talk things out and um, reveal some more information. Oh yeah, and Adam was there too. Adam was freaking hilarious the entire time, just throughout the whole reveal when Ronan was talking about the pillows and, you know, just everybody of course is accusing Adam. Adam's the most obvious suspect. You know, he was close with Diane, he was already plotting with her, and he's the most devious person in Genoa City. So everybody's trying to point the finger at him and Adam's just like, oh yes, that's clearly, clearly I'm the one. You know, just his little quips are funny. Just, Adam is funny to me. I like him. He's gotta be, ugh, he's just gone from zero to hero for me. He was my most hated character on the show a couple years ago, and now he's my absolute favorite. He was so funny. And then over on the women's side, I thought that Abby was really funny while she was being held. You know, she's like, oh, I don't like, you know, I, I, I need uh, to pretend like I'm doing yoga to calm myself down. And and <laughs> like, this is bad for my hair being in the cell. And she's just such a spoiled brat. And it was so funny. And it was good to see her back this week. This is her first week back on the show since Marcy Ryland gave birth. And it was nice to see her. She was like extra enthusiastic and very, very funny. And, um, you know, I, I honestly I don't know which side was more bitchy. There was a lot of bitchiness going on, in the, with the women all together. You know, like uh, some kind of ganging up on Phyllis for a while, ganging up on Nikki for a while. Just you know, all of the girls going at each other, or you know. But then again, on the men's side, there was a lot of bitchiness going on over there too. It was like Adam and Tucker and Victor and Nick, and you know, they're you know, of course, uh, Victor said something to Adam like, "You don't care about anyone," and Adam says, "I care about." Your wife. <laughs> and then Nick just freaks out and, like, tries to lunge at him. I mean, there was just so much um, drama on the inside of both of those cells, and ultimately, everyone got arraigned, and everyone got set free, and the interesting little piece, I mean, we're slowly, it's starting to you know, lead toward our capturing of Patty, our understanding of how Patty fit in to the scenario um, of Diane's death, and pretty much it was probably just that she wanted to have revenge on people, I mean, whatever, Patty didn't kill Diane, she just wanted to, I guess, torture Torture some of her former enemies in Genoa City, but we're slowly leading toward that. The piece of the puzzle that I still think is very interesting, and I really don't know how to put my finger on, is we saw Abby sitting in the cell, and she was flashing back to her night. After uh, Diane's murder, and she comes back to her house or hotel room or wherever she was, I think her bedroom, and she is dusty and dirty and muddy, and she's starting, you know, through her haze of drunkenness from that night, she wakes up and she realizes that she's got mud and dirt on her pants and doesn't know where how it got there. Now, at the time, it that wasn't any different than anybody else. I mean, Ashley came home the next day with a leaf in her hair. Tucker had poison ivy or poison sumac or whatever it was. So at the time, that just didn't seem, you know, it didn't seem more unusual than anybody else. I thought it was just implicating that, you know, Ashley was there at the park and she struggled with Diane. But... There's something more to it because number one, we saw the flashback and then we saw Abby kind of telling everybody, all the girls in the cell, like, hey, I remember that I was muddy and all the girls write it off. All the girls are like, Oh, it was muddy there that night, just you know, it's probably no big deal. But after Abby got arraigned, she's out in the getting ready to leave the police station and as she's coming out, Deacons kinda coming in and they sort of cross paths and Deacon says something to her, basically, like he's been saying to everybody the whole time since he's gotten into this storyline. He says something like, Well, aren't you glad that your secret is safe so far? You know, good thing your your uh, secret hasn't come out yet. Or something like that. Just implying, you know, like I know more than I'm letting on about whatever it was that you did. So I don't I, I mean I've been racking my brain about this. I've been trying I mean I was thinking about it all last night. What is Abby's secret, you know. I mean, I, I feel like the one piece that they didn't really tie up, what you know, in Deacon's explanation of everything was the key. You know, I mean, D- Diane supposedly had that key to a lockbox where Abby's tape, videotaped confession to hitting Tucker with her car was supposed to be, and they didn't really talk about why that was in her throat. I mean, at, the, at the time, I thought, well, I guess that just, the implication is that Deacon did it. I guess Deacon found it and did it, and I don't know. But, I, I'm i just kind of wondering if that's, does, is that playing in? Is that part of it now? I mean, does, how, what what is there that's more to Abby's story, and does the key have anything to do with it? I don't have any theories. (laughs) Uh, I'm really curious to know what your theories are, so why don't you guys leave me a message and let me know what you make of that. Well, it was really no big surprise this week that Genevieve um, and her holding company, FMN, were the ones that ended up uh, acquiring Beauty of Nature through Adam's sale. And that part was just obvious, I think, for the last couple of months. The part that to me was not obvious was the fact that Genevieve was on the board the entire time when she was at Newman. I mean, some a couple of you have called it, and you mentioned it to me, um, when the... Board seats came up for grabs at Newman. There was one shady company that we didn't really know you know, we heard had acquired a board seat at Newman, but we didn't really know how that played in and I just assumed that the writers forgot about it but it turns out that one of those guys that was sitting on the board the entire time was in Genevieve's pocket. He was a, a, he was a front man for her. He he was just kind of like a, a her proxy and so that entire time while they were making votes on things. That guy was voting on Genevieve's behalf. So she's been on the inn at Newman the entire time that she's been working at Jabot. So say what you want about this woman. She's very cunning. She's very uh, rich. And she is very well able to see opportunities that are coming down the pike. So I was very, very impressed to learn that about her. Um, I, I just I feel bad for her because she is having... Uh, a really hard time telling Jack the truth. Uh, She just outbid him. I mean... Beauty of Nature was Jack's dream. He wanted to buy up that company so that he could combine it with Jubo and finally make Daddy proud. And unfortunately, his new wife-to-be just got in the way of his plans. And Genevieve feels very, very guilty about this. I, I think part of her maybe almost didn't even want to win the bid, but she kind of felt like she had to. I mean, I honestly, I feel like the only thing that genevieve is really I, I i think it completely explains why she bought it i mean she just had the opportunity i don't think it was about um stepping on jack's dreams in any way and i you know i don't i don't know that jack really had a whole heck of a lot to do with it now that this part has been revealed i kind of think genevieve just simply had the opportunity it was a good i it was a good business deal and so she took it and so now i think she's struggling with when do I tell Jack? How do I tell Jack? I don't want Jack to feel like I did this to undermine him. And so it's really, really causing her some stress. And she had a really, really good conversation with Lily this week, who's actually going to be her maid of honor in her wedding to Jack that's supposed to be happening like tomorrow in Genoa, or today in Genoa City time, uh, probably next week in our time. And, you know, she was just chatting with Lily about how Her relationship with Colin was such a whirlwind. She was just this young tourist in Australia or probably studying there abroad, studying abroad, and she meets this older, rich, powerful man. She gets sucked up into his world. They get married very quickly. It doesn't sound like they had very much of a courtship at all um she didn't even sound like she had a traditional wedding and her entire relationship with Colin was defined by him and his business you know it was never about her as an individual she always felt like she was subservient to him and now she's in a relationship with Jack where she actually feels like an equal and she i think is so thrilled by this prospect you know the you know the, the it's totally new to her to be in a relationship where she's seen as an equal and now she's making these really bold business decisions and I think she's struggling back and forth between wanting to be that bold businesswoman and kind of, you know, her past of being a, you know, more of a passive um, wife, you know, just kind of being there to support her husband. It's like, I think she's clearly at a crossroads of, you know, letting go of the old Genevieve, the old ways of life and coming into understanding who she is as this new Genevieve. And I feel bad for her. I, I kind of wish that she would just tell Jack. I wish she would just get it off her chest. You know, there's got to be a way to spin this to where he can understand it. Um, it's You know, he's still... You know, I mean, there's... there's potential still with her owning it for him to have deals with beauty of nature. So it's a good thing. I mean, there's got to be, it's, I would focus less on the fact that, you know, she hasn't told him yet. And I would focus on, Hey, guess what? I got it for you. I mean, cause who knows if Genevieve hadn't placed a bid, somebody else could have outbid Jack. So it's not as if she immediately intentionally undercut him or overcut him in a way. So I, I, I think that she should spend it into a positive, And I think that would, you know, possibly help her relationship uh, with Jack. I mean, of course, Victor is really, really not happy <laughs> about the fact the beauty of nature is now uh, gone. I'm sure when Victoria finds out about it, she's going to be really ticked off, too, but Victor has already demanded to have a meeting with the owner of FMN, and although Genevieve tried to put off the process, she went and and had to have a meeting with Victor and reveal. That it was her, you know, revealed that she was the one uh, that bought it. And Victor tried to get her to, to to combine, or to, no, he said, I want to encourage you to keep beauty of nature under the Newman umbrella, which I don't know how that would benefit her, in any way, shape, or form, but apparently Victor just thinks that sh- his sheer presence should be a beneficial business uh, move for her, but Genevieve is like, you know, I haven't even had a chance to think about what I'm going to do with this company, so, no, I'm going to turn you down for now, but, you know, we'll see. They left it on kind of a positive note, but the second Genevieve was out the door, Victor was on the phone with Michael, telling him that he wants to have all of the background information he can get on Genevieve, and the scary thing is... <sighs> (sighs) If Victor's able to get that information and give it to Jack before Genevieve has a chance to tell Jack. Because the wedding is coming, and it is such a Victor move to approach Jack on his wedding day and just spill this huge tea about Jack's bride-to-be and potentially ruin the wedding day. Um, Well, I guess that is if Patty doesn't ruin it first... So Myrna has been avoiding the cops for as long as she possibly can, and her time has run out. There's no more excuses that she can make. Uh, Both Ronan and Paul have been hired by Genevieve to get to the bottom of all of these strange little things that have been happening in her house, and they've been trying to get a hold of Myrna for weeks to get her comment on it, and every time they do, Myrna dodges it. Well... Finally, Genevieve tries to send Paul over to the house to come face-to-face with Myrna and question her, and that's when Patty realizes she has to leave, she has to get out of there. She packs one little bag and her her kitty cross stitch, and she gets the heck out of there and heads back to the potting shed on the Newman Ranch where she's going to (laughs) finalize her plans of revenge on Genevieve and uh, her ways to stop Jack's wedding. Um, But before that, Paul ends up getting to Genevieve's house, realizes that Myrna isn't there, and Genevieve's like, yeah, I don't know where she could have been. It looks like she's taken all of her stuff and and left. So Paul goes up into, Genev- or into Myrna's bedroom, and Genevieve gives him permission to take a look at her laptop. So Paul grabs a laptop, starts snooping around on it, and s- realizes that there's evidence on it from Diane's murder case, and starts to put two and two together that, conveniently, Myrna is the missing person who has the missing information in the Diane Jenkins murder case. So she's got videos on there of the, the security footage from the park on that night, and it starts to become, uh, very clear that, uh, she's a suspect. So, Paul is alert, um, to that. He's just not alert to the fact that it's his sister. I just, every time I see Paul, it's like, oh, I just feel so bad for Paul. You know, he deserves so much better. He's got this crazy sister. His, uh, dud daughter and his evil son, and I just think, God, Paul deserves so much better than he's getting right now. Um, And by the way, just totally on a side note, is Ricky the new Adam, or what? Because Paul finds that laptop, wants to get information off of it, um, and Ricky sees it, asks Paul what's up, Paul's not going to tell him, why would Paul tell him information about this case? And Ricky goes and like downloads the information off of Patty's computer. Without Paul looking, it was, and it's just very, very sneaky. Ricky has a very sneaky side to him. In fact, I think that's the main that's the dominant side. Ricky's a creep. Um, (laughs) So, we'll see how that plays in. I don't know if maybe Paul is, you know, working on finding out uh, Myrna's connection to Diane's murder case, and maybe Ricky will go through find some other evidence that will uh, connect the dots and show that it uh, is actually Patty. I don't know if that's where it's going, but we'll see. I mean, we also know, I think, we can pretty much see coming, that the The other brother, the priest brother, Paul's priest brother, it's Corbin Bernstein I can't think of the character's name but he's gonna I'm sure be coming in to marry Genevieve and Jack and so he's um, gonna be back on the scene too so he may play a role in recognizing Patty at the wedding who knows um, but I, I just ugh, Patty is totally over the edge um here we are back again to the pa- crazy Patty storyline I, I like I, I just ugh, I just kind of wish that we could like bring Patty's crazy level down a few notches and keep her around because she is entertaining I she's just such I feel so bad for Patty she's such a tortured soul you know she's she's got a real sweet side to her but she's got this intense anger uh too and I just wish I wish we could balance her out with some meds or something and keep her around like I would love to have a cross between Emily and patty you know somewhere in the middle not quite to crazy town but not quite quite to boring shrinksville either just somewhere right in the middle That would be really nice. But but it's it's odd that Patty has such an easy time putting on the Emily persona. You know, she actually decides this week that sh- there's only one more thing that she's possibly going to be able to do to stop Jack's wedding, and that is to become Emily. And it's almost frightening how how normal she's able to make herself sound. In any other situation, any other scene, Patty is off her freaking rocker, and whenever she puts on the Emily persona, she's just totally cool and calm, almost socio in how cool and calm she is. And it's just, I don't know, it's weird. But... Patty puts on their persona of Emily this week and she decides to go to Jack and plead her love, plead her case to him and tell him, you know, you can't marry Genevieve because I'm still in love with you. We never really finished our relationship and just anything. I mean, this is Patty's last ditch effort. And, you know, here's Jack's like shocked. You know, I mean, he's heard nothing from Emily for forever. And now all of a sudden, a couple of hours before his wedding, she's here telling him don't marry Genevieve, Uh, which is not even at all really like uh, Emily. Emily is is very cold, and she seems to have had no, you know, no further contact uh, with Jack, save for maybe once. So it's just crazy to me that Jack has not been able to see this coming, especially considering that he knows that Patty is on the loose. But he turned quote-unquote, Emily down, sent her pack in, and pretty much the second uh, Emily walked out the door, Patty persona, you know, the Patty, uh, it's like split personality, the Patty personality comes back and is just sheer enraged, just, just anger, she goes back to the potting shed, and she's crying and whining, and she reaches into her little duffel bag, and pulls out a pistol, all the while saying that she's not going to let Jack marry Genevieve. So, um, I think we can pretty much be expecting like the scene next week where Genevieve's like, I'm like probably going and getting her hair done for her wedding day and her makeup done. She's going to probably be walking out of the salon. And then all of a sudden we're going to see a leathery black glove come out and like grab her over the mouth and pull her back and a gun to her head. And I don't know, there's just, is there any way that this is not going to lead to a kidnapping Well just one final little storyline I have to comment on is what's going on with Jeff. I'm I'm ready to dive into this. I want to know what what the heck's going on. I mean, when he was discovered by Kevin and Angelina at the cabin, he knew what was going on. He recognized Kevin's face. Kevin mentioned that Gloria thought that he left her and Jeff was like I would never. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing scenes of him hitching a ride with a trucker and kind of acting like he doesn't know even who he is. And then all of a sudden he gets into Genoa City, he's sitting at the coffee house, having a sandwich, runs into Jill and is pretending like he doesn't know her, doesn't know who he is, doesn't know Gloria. Where did this amnesia coming from? Is it coming from? And is it for real? That's my question. I mean, Jill doesn't believe him at first, thinks oh, he's just faking it to try to get away with the fact that he ditched town, took all of Gloria's money, left her high and dry. So Jill decides to take him over to the athletic club where she magically knew Gloria would be. And Jeff sees Gloria sitting there with Angelo and just acts like it's you know he's never seen her before and luckily gloria didn't see him or that would have broke her little heart i mean she's trying very hard to move on with angelo and jeff is just totally oblivious totally clueless and i just i'm so curious to know what you guys thinking about this. Um, is Jeff being for real? <laughs> Does Jeff actually have amnesia? Or is he just doing this maybe as part of his plan to get Gloria back? Could he be pretending to have an amnesia so that Angelo and or Gloria don't see him as a threat? So he can start to worm his way back into her life? I just, I mean, he's got a giant head wound so he obviously is making it look like he's been hit on the head, which I don't know if it was Kevin that did that or if that was Left over from whatever Angelo did, but I, I just I don't know how you don't have amnesia one day and you have it the next day. So I don't know. Leave me a comment. Let me know what you guys are thinking about that. Because I, I mean, if 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 his cover hasn't been blown already, it's gonna be blown as soon as Kevin and Angelina get off the island. They have successfully made themselves a raft, and they are going to raft their way to safety. And when they get back into town. They're going to see Jeff, and they're going to know that he was perfectly fine a couple of days ago. So, I don't know. That's a a head scratcher. We'll have to see how that one pans out. But leave me your comments. Let me know what you think. Okay, my podcast friends. That's going to do it for me for this week. It's been a pretty good one. I mean, you know, any week that Adam and Sharon have sex is really quite good and satisfying for me you know the, the you know the weird thing is is the couple that really I was expecting to have sex this week didn't Phyllis and Nick wouldn't you have thought I mean they pretty much did their whole patented video game playing on the couch move that usually results in sex for them and they didn't they instead you know were very mature I mean they're they're definitely on their way to getting back together which I know, I like if they can make it work this time, then more power to them. They had a nice little family night. Um, Phyllis brought Summer over to hang out with Nick and Faith and they were going to watch a movie and have some popcorn. And, you know, it's nice. I'm glad that they're getting their little family back together. And after they put the kids to bed, you know, Phyllis said to Nick, this is what we always do. You know, we fight, we make up, we have sex. Those are the three bases that we always have covered. And yet it always results in the same fractured relationship. So something needs to change now. And I couldn't agree more. I was very pleased with both Phyllis and Nick for deciding to kind of, you know what, let's take it slow. We always end up back at the same spot, you know. And if we just keep doing the same thing over and over, the relationship is never going to evolve. It's never going to turn into something less. Lasting. and so I am very glad that they are um, communicating more you know I, I mean <laughs> we've seen them have sex a lot <laughs> and it's always very very hot but I think that they have some you know they have some deeper work to do <laughs> and I'm yeah I, I mean I think that I'll be able to get behind their relationship a little bit more once I see some more you know communication and understanding between them so we'll see you know I mean you know they'll pro this will probably last like a week. <laughs> They'll probably manage to abstain for a week, maybe two. We'll have to see. What do you guys think? Time to leave me a comment. Time to let me know what your thoughts are. I have rambled enough. So um, here's what you can do. You can give me a phone call. Uh, the telephone number is area code 309-588-4569 if you want to leave me a voicemail comment. Um, again, it's 309-588-4569 or you can send me an email. My email is yrchat at live.com or you can just go to my blog and find the post for this week's podcast and you can leave me a comment there the blog address is yrchatblog.blogspot.com and from there you can see all of my links you know you can check out my Facebook page you can find me on Twitter all that stuff if you want to be able to communicate with me throughout the week you can do that too but no matter because I'm going to be back next week. And we're going to chat more about the show. Um, you know, like I said, I'm totally, in, I'm totally totally into the whole Adam storyline. Every word that comes out of his mouth is like magic to me. So, <laughs> I, I, I watch everything he does. And I'm really hoping to see some more Adam and Sharon next week. And, you know, I want to see if he's able to work his way out of the men's room. <laughs> And I'll be looking forward to coming back and chatting about all of that with you guys. So, everybody, have an awesome week. I love you so, so much. And um, I'll chat with you next time. Alright, guys. Bye!